my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, 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 and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. So today we are jumping into our next episode in our Mama Month. And our Mama Month is a set of different episodes where we are going to be talking about different aspects of healing our mother wounds, of healing some of the triggers and things that may come up with Mother's Day. And I shared in our first episode the reason why I wanted to talk about different aspects that come up because us as women, there are so many experiences, there's so many different um, different needs that come up when we talk about mother wounds and the, the feelings that Mother's Day can bring to us. For some of us, it's joy. For some of us, it's regret and sadness. Some of us, anger. And some of us, it can be really confusing because it's a mixture of all of it. And so within the umbrella of what I talk about here at Black Girls Heal, which is healing from unresolved trauma and love addiction and love avoidance and love deprivation, I wanted to hit on the issues that mother wounds may have an influence over. And so that's um, where this episode is coming from as well. So I talk about it a little bit more in within the interview with our guests, but I want to tell you why this specific topic falls underneath the umbrella of, of healing from these intimacy disorders. So at the time that I'm recording this, I've titled this episode, Grieving Childlessness as a Single Woman. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can, starting from the bottom up. And that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products to support every garden and lawn, Coast of Maine products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, by adding Coast of Maine products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes in your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Coast of Maine continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that aspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. 
Costa Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit CoastofMaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E, dot com. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. With the crazy heat waves we are experiencing this summer, especially here in Texas, it can be hard to stay fresh while you're out and about. And that's why I've incorporated the Honey Pot's foaming wash and wipes into my daily routine. The Cucumber Aloe Honey Pot wipes provide a quick refresh when I leave a day of errands and head to a girls' night with friends. If you're heading to an outdoor concert or festival, the Honey Pot wipes are a must to keep you fresh between the fun. Both the foaming wash and wipes are plant-derived, backed by science, dermatologist-approved, gynecologist approved and hypoallergenic. Get 25% off your first order from thehoneypot.co slash summer. That's T-H-E-H-O-N-E-Y-P-O-T dot C-O slash summer to get 25% off your first order and join the hive today. And the reason why I wanted to, um, I've been wanting for a long time to find someone who can talk about this issue is most of the women that I get the privilege and pleasure to serve are black women, women of color, but black women who who have who are healing themselves, but they are at a point and stage in their life, they're at an age in their life when where they are just wondering if even if they heal their trauma, if they worked on being more available, if they worked on um, building healthier connections with people, and if they met the person that they wanted to meet today, would they be able to be a mother? Um, Would they be able to have a child? And not every woman wants to be a mother. And that's a whole other topic that deserves its own conversation but for the women that do, there is a very specific and um, nuanced grief that comes to this, that comes with this topic that isn't really talked about. Um, I know that there's a lot of research that comes out. I know that there's lots of facts. I know that there's lots of you know, conversations that happen when, um, when Black women marry later and the the factors that come into play with that and you know ways that people can cope and all of that stuff and people do really great job really do a really great job talking about that topic most of the time but an area that I've seen lacking is what does a woman do if one of the things that she's grieving is to not be able to have or the fear that she might not be able to have a biological child or the reality for for some of us. And oftentimes this pain is um, is minimized. Um, People will say things like, well, you can you can adopt or, you know, don't say that you never know what's going to happen. And and they're not allowed to talk about what they're feeling, the real grief um, that they're experiencing. And so. It's, it was really important to me because I know that this is a place that um, many women that I work with come to more often than not. And I have never felt as if it does a person justice as much as I'm holding 
space and I am believing and I am encouraging positive mindsets. Um, it also does not do someone justice to not be able to give you support that validates your emotions, that lets you know that you can feel whatever you need to feel, to let you know that your feelings and your experience is real. And so, um, thank goodness I've been, I've been searching for a while y'all. Um, and I found an amazing woman who's going to talk with us today about what that looks like. She's going to talk about her own personal experience. Um, she's going to talk about tools and support. And because this episode is talking about wanting to um, the wanting to have a child and maybe the fear, the grieving around possibly not being able to have a biological child, um, wondering if it's too late and all the other things that come along with this that I want to allow my guest to talk more about because she's very eloquent with this. Um, my guest is also going to talk about for those of us who who are partnered or were partnered or have been partnered and we have been trying to conceive and we have been battling with infertility because that is absolutely um, something that comes up. Those of us who may have lost children um, along the way in this trying to conceive journey. And there's no way I could talk about this or have someone talk about this and not talk about the women who have or are partnered and um, their grieving child childlessness or yes, childlessness as well. So my hope, my hope is that today's episode provides some healing for the women who who are in need of it today, um, that it helps give words to feelings that you've been feeling, that it helps give you permission to feel them, um, especially those of us who really believe in, in um, walking by faith and not by sight or by speaking um, positivity to make sure that you only manifest positive things and you've been doing all those things, but you felt trapped because there's still some feelings that have not gone away. Um, hopefully this episode gives you some respite um, to allow you to be fully human in this experience because you deserve that support. So that's it for today's intro. Let's go ahead and jump right on in and I'll see you right after the jump. Okay, so on the podcast today, I have Yvonne John with me. Hey, Yvonne. Hi. Hey, uh, thank you so much for joining me talking about dealing with the feelings around childlessness. Um, I feel like you are the perfect guest and you are going to have so much wisdom to share with our audience. So I really appreciate you being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad you invited me. So I'm excited to see how this pans out. Yeah, yes. Okay, so... Before we even get started, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the Black Girls Heal audience and tell us a little bit about yourself. So, yes, as you said, I'm Yvonne John. I am author of Dreaming of a Life Unlived. I am also a blogger and activist for women of color, um, childless women of color. I started my infertility journey in... 2014 when I got told I had unexplained infertility 
and so prior to that I've been trying I got married at 39 I started trying naturally at the age of 40 and three years in and a year of fertility investigations led to me being told there's absolutely nothing wrong with me there was nothing wrong with my then husband um, but no one could tell us why I wasn't getting pregnant and therefore got told I had unexplained infertility um, left that consultant's office with a very confused look and didn't know what that meant for me and remember just going home and falling into bed crying and probably didn't stop crying for the next two years because it really propelled me into this crazy world of grief which I didn't understand at the beginning yeah yeah absolutely yeah and I and I know that's the story of so many women which is why I'm very excited that we're talking about this so before we go any further just for anyone who's joining the podcast for the first time I know that I shared this with you offline but um, this episode is coming out during um, our motherhood series. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this topic in particular is because a lot of the women who I support in healing from their intimacy, intimacy disorders and love addiction and love avoidance find themselves in the place where they are older women and older in the um, child rearing space. So not necessarily um, um, you know, over 50 or 60, but at the age where having a child is um, a little bit less likely according to what science says. And so they are very interested and in, in wanting to get into partnerships, but they are at an age where they're wondering if even if they were to meet their partner now, would they even be able to have a child biologically? And there's a lot of grief that comes along with that. And so that is definitely that, that grieving of childlessness is not anything that anyone really talks about. And women are just kind of left to cope with that on their own. So I know that that has also been part of your story, but then also in talking about grieving childlessness and fertility for the women who have been trying, whether or not, no matter what the age they are, um, and with Mother's Day coming up here in the States, that is such a painful time as well. So I couldn't talk about childlessness without talking about both parts and luckily um, or fortunately I should say um, you have a lot of wisdom to share with our audience about both of those two experiences and so so with that said I'm wondering if we can start with the first one um, because I know that before um, you were with your with your partner um, from what I understand of your story you had gotten to a place where you were grieving that the thought of not being able to have a child biologically before, so I think what I would say is, you know, before I met my partner at that time, I had come to a place where I didn't think I'd ever get married. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose I was learning to accept that I was going to be on my own. Um, and I didn't see it as grief at the time. Um, and I don't think I would define that as grief, but I did have that, I suppose up until that moment, I had that feeling of this isn't gonna happen. And there was in a way a sadness around that. So I, you know, and I completely understand that whole yearning to want to meet someone and, and be with someone because society tells us this is what should happen. This is, you, and we're not going to be fulfilled unless we meet a partner, unless we get married. And then the other added on to that is then having the children. So 
it was a surprise to me to meet someone that I then married. But within that, um, within the beginning of that journey, we had a discussion about children and we both felt we were of an age that it wasn't going to happen. And I, also I thought my chances of being a mum had gone because I had two terminations in my 20s. And believing I had dealt with that and, and made peace with it, I entered into that stage of my life feeling like, well, you know, I've made my decisions. Um, I need to make peace with that. And, and I felt like I had given up the opportunity, although I know people who have got pregnant in their 40s. But for me, it just felt like I had given up the opportunity to do that. And, and I needed to not be upset with that and in a way move on and I think it wasn't until I got the diagnosis that I realized there was a huge sadness around it all it, it and it's something I never expected it, it hit me it, it was such a surprise when it happened and it was really tough to deal with it because I didn't understand any of it I didn't understand why I felt that way I didn't understand why I was so sad about it because as I said, I thought I'd made peace and dealt with it before. Sheena, you're on mute. Thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely over here just talking. Uh, <laughs> it was so beautifully said too. So let's, let's see if I can remember what I just said. Because um, <laughs> I'm over here sneaking bites of food and I had to go on mute and I forgot to come back off. Um, <laughs> but what I was sharing was, I was saying thank you so much for, um, for um, sharing that. And I was saying, let's, let's jump into talking about that. Um, I, I had shared some appreciation for correcting the emotion, um, you know, and telling and sharing what it, what it actually felt like with the emotional journey has been like for you so thank you for that so yeah can you talk a little bit more about that sadness that that, that did come up um, how it came up and how you worked through it so uh, <laughs> I know it's, it was, it's a big uh, question it's a big it, question yeah. <laughs> where do I start with it? right right <laughs> it was I mean I suppose literally it was I guess that same day or the day after that I got my diagnosis. Um, and I completely shut down because when I heard those two words, unexplained infertility, as much as I didn't understand what it meant for me, I remember thinking, this is never gonna happen. Even though, you know, the, doc the consultant was very encouraging, keep trying, he did say I could try IVF, but I, I would have only had a 4% chance of succeeding. Um, but I just, I suppose I just went numb, I shut down and I just went home and cried. And then I found having friends with young kids, which never bothered me up until that point. I was very excited about it. I was excited about having my own family that, you know, my kids will play with their kids and, and things like that. But I instantly found that I couldn't be around them. I couldn't hear people being happy about their families. I couldn't watch my friends with their kids. I couldn't, I remember going to my goddaughter's play 
and I can't remember how old she was at the time, maybe around five, six. And I remember sitting in the audience and feeling like, one, I didn't belong because it's a whole load of mothers with the kids and everyone gushing at their child being in this play. And I just knew, I, I just felt like I can't be there because it was so hard to know that I'm never going to experience this with my child. And I kept finding that there was more and more examples like being in the supermarket or being on the train, watching young families, being at work with the pregnancy announcements or the maternity, you know, wishing people well going on maternity leave. I couldn't do it. It mm. just felt like I could not do it. Every, every experience that I encountered just left me in floods of tears. Mm. And I had no words to describe this. And I remember shut, completely shutting down and I wouldn't talk to my then husband about it. Um, I had a lot of resentment towards him because I felt like he didn't want it as much as I did. And, and because I didn't have the words to explain, I just then couldn't explain. I couldn't explain that I was so sad. I couldn't explain why I was crying. I just didn't. I just didn't understand it for myself. So I didn't, I couldn't give words to the experience that I was going through. So I can, just couldn't talk to anyone about it. Can I ask real quickly, um, do you feel like you didn't have the words to explain just because you weren't aware that those were emotions that you could have or because it was just a new experience or you had not heard anyone talk about it? What do you All think? Of the above. Mm -hmm. I would say all of the above because I didn't, I had never heard of anyone talk about it before. So I didn't know that was possible. Mm -hmm. I had one of the things that impacted on my grief was, and I would never have used that word at the time because I didn't know I could. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And one, so one of the things that did affect me was the sh I, I felt instant shame when I, I realized that I wasn't gonna be able to conceive a child. And the shame was around how my dating passed because it wasn't the greatest. And also the fact that I had the two terminations. So I felt like this was all my fault for one. And um, then it was like all those choices you made in the past, all those decisions, all that, you know, I just, I felt like the biggest idiot because I was in those situations, whether it was not so great relationships or having the terminations, it was the shame that um, I, in a way, just didn't, I was like, I'm trying to hard to describe it because, you know, it's huge and it felt so debilitating and it was really heavy. I just kind of felt like I'm this idiot and, I was stupid to be in those situations. I was stupid to be there. And therefore that meant all of this was my fault. Mm. And so that was another reason why I couldn't talk about it because I felt like people would say to me, well, you didn't deserve to be a mum, mm. and you don't deserve to be sad about it. And yeah, I never thought this was possible. You know, it went, when I sit in here now and reflecting back, I realise society doesn't tell us that having a child may not be possible 
other than you know you've got you've got the aspect of actually you don't have to choose that route because that is a possibility but no one tells you that it's okay to choose not to have children mm-hmm. and then on the flip side it's no one tells you that it might not be possible so the whole message is you know all the messages we get growing up is about getting married and having children and patriarchal societies will say this is what has to happen for you to be a real woman and for you to have a place in our world in our society so when you're here realizing that it's not going to happen it's like you, you implode your world just collapses and then it's like what the hell what's going to happen now you know there's so many things that go on mm-hmm. and you have you literally I mean I literally had no answers I I just was numb I really was numb well that I think that puts into words very beautifully and very eloquently a lot of the un, unsaid experiences and being caught in the middle between what you feel like you're allowed to feel and that shame as well. Like I caused this and this is my fault. So I I don't even have a right to feel these feelings that I'm feeling, which drives you deeper into keeping it to yourself, which only compounds those emotions for sure. Absolutely. You said a lot of wonderful, um, a lot of wonderful encapsulations of what, what women have felt before. So I would, I would love to talk a little bit more about how does someone who's listening to this, who's feeling, yes, that's it. That's what I've been feeling. How does someone start to untangle from all these messages that they have felt about either the part about this is my fault or I waited too late or I caused this or I'm not really a woman or what am I going to be able to give to society? Any, any of those things. It's, it's really is getting support because this is something you cannot do on your own. You know, mm. you go, you try and talk to friends and family and they're all mean well, but everyone wants to try and fix us with so many, you know, there's a lot of fixing stuff going on. Like, you know, why didn't you try IVF? Why didn't you just adopt? Why didn't you try surrogacy? Ugh, you know, the list is endless. And I find, I found that that, drove my anger around the sadness and around everyone else around me it really impacted on how I was responding to them and I felt very angry that people were trying to give me these solutions that I actually didn't want I wanted someone to hear and understand and actually help me because I didn't understand for myself I was very fortunate that early on in my on my journey I found Gateway Women which is a support group that supports women who are childless by circumstance. And and it's an international group. And I did my first workshop in December, 2014 called Living Without Children. And then went on to do the Plan B Mentorship Program in February, 2015, which is a year long program that works through um, a series of steps to help women and to support women dealing with their grief. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me. I mean, different things happened. For one, I was amongst a group of women who understood what I was going through. I found love and acceptance because the shame and the, the, the inner voices that I had that were telling me that, you know, I was this horrible person and I didn't deserve to 
grieve and I didn't deserve to be a mum, it helped to silence that because all of a sudden I was accepted and it was okay to come with my story into that room and have it heard. And, and I was loved anyway. And that made such a difference in how I could own my story. I mean, I did, I did some work with Jodie Day, who's the founder of Gateway Women. I did some mentoring with her, um, one-on-one one -on -one mentoring where I worked through, because she too has had a termination in her past. So I was able to work through my feelings around my terminations and which led me to writing a letter to my younger self, forgiving her for her past decisions and telling her she, I understood why she did that and she made her decisions out of love and love for her unborn children. And also to say goodbye as part of a ritual, say goodbye to the children I never got to meet and because I desired to have them with my husband and you know that wasn't gonna be possible. So I was able to say goodbye to them um, with love and, and compassion for myself. So being, as I said, you can't do it on your own, being in a group of women who really get it and can share the experiences without telling you you're wrong or trying or giving you solutions was just life-saving. I, I, you know, I cannot stress how important it is to be in such an environment. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I want to, I'm tempted to say, I know it's not for everyone, but I, everyone I know through the Gateway community have, you know, have so much to say for it and are so thankful to be in that community because, you know, for the first, there's many women there for the first time saying, you know, I, I'm not able to have children and it being heard, truly being heard for what it is and all the experience that around it because, you know, being around in family events, for example, especially as a black woman or Asian, uh, an Asian woman, it, there's a high expectation around families for us. And if you say you know or you don't want to go, that's seen as negative. So, you know, and that adds to the grief. So we're forcing ourselves to be in these places that we just can't be there because it is so painful but we can't say no because somebody's going to criticize us for it um yeah. and finding those tools and coping mechanisms as well as the self-compassion and the self-care is invaluable it really is invaluable yeah and i think just to add on to what you're already describing being very very aware of the emotions that are underneath triggers that you may have gone numb to um my my husband and I actually dealt with infertility for several years and you know fortunately for us we uh, were, were able to conceive um later on but I remember leading up to that time one of my good friends was having a baby shower and she was having a baby shower Mother's Day weekend and it was <laughs> and Mother's Day weekend was already traumatic because of the passing of my mom. So it was just like a big confluence of events. And I was like, uh, in my automatic stance of like, well, you're a good friend. So you show up and you smile and this isn't about you. And Yvonne, I went to it 
And I smiled and immediately, like everyone in the room, we're all friends. They all know my situation. So there's already a little bit of awkwardness there. And we're like all, you know, trying to have a good time. And I feel as soon as I walk through the door, then I shouldn't have been there. But then also I'm like, well, I can't. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Leave because that's going to look awkward and wrong and weird. So I stayed there the whole time and I went home and I'm still feeling, I'm not aware of the emotions that I'm feeling, but I just feel like my body is tight. And I feel embarrassed and ashamed for being there. And then the next day is when it hit me and I was out for the count. Like I couldn't get up, I couldn't move, I was frozen, I was emotional. And it's like all the feelings that I didn't let myself feel that day caught up with me. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a painful experience for me to learn um, that I, need to prior- I needed to prioritize what I needed in the moment and to also listen to what I felt and not try to make other people happy and, and do these social norms because it's okay for me to be sad. It's okay for me to grieve. It's okay for me to not be able to show up to your event because it's going to hurt me. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. 
My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, this is something we are not told or given permission to do as from, you know, our families and friends. And I'm being very general here because, you know, some people I know, you know, I had a friend when she realized my situation and I was able to talk about it, gave me permission to say no. And she would, you know, invite that. She would say to me straight up, if you can't do it, it's, I understand. But we're not, everyone's not that fortunate. And especially when you're at the beginning of the grief and you are not in that place that you can name it and talk about it yourself. It's so, so tricky. And, and there's so many layers to grief as well. So, you know, women will find that other stuff come up as well around it because there's reminders of all sorts of things. Um, and I think in the absence of doing grief work, we can remain stuck and and in a way it starts to feel worse because you know the, the the grief the sadness just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and you're trying to in a way fight against trying to get yourself to this event that you feel you have to get there over looking after yourself because you just don't know how mm -hmm. uh, so you know it's so important to do to to do your grief work and unpack what this all means for you and then look at the self-care and the self-compassion so that you can start to utilize coping mechanisms to help you just to get through it. I mean, sometimes there are events that we might not be able to go to, but sorry, not we might not be able to say no to. Mm. However, in that situation, I've been able to say, okay, I'm going to go for an hour. And if I... Or, you know, all right, I'll turn up. If it's not so great, I am going to leave. So I'm giving my permission, myself permission, but I'm putting things in place to just help me. So if I do manage to get through the door, I'm going to stay for half an hour or an hour. And if I'm going with a partner or a friend that knows the situation and, and can help, then can I give them a prompt? If you notice this, can you take me outside? You know, mm -hmm. my husband at that time used to being aware of this sometimes would say do we need to go outside you know let's go for a walk because some you know I got to a stage where I thought I was better and therefore would be okay in a certain situation but then get there and and feel really triggered and mm. was surprised by that so I wasn't as prepared but you know thankfully I had a partner there at the time that could help pull me away from it and take me out and and we could go for a walk and just help me to work through what I needed to work through at that time so I could go back into the situation so there's there are so many things we can put in place it's doing the grief work and and being in that tribe of women to be able to know this to work it out to know this and give yourself permission to do it because that's the important thing too, is giving yourself permission to be able to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to double down on that. 
as far as the community because we see things through our own perspective. And so you might think that you're seeing something logically and you're weighing both sides, but you're still using the filter of your experiences, even with all the knowledge that you may have. And so I totally agree that having the the community of people around you to not only offer outside insight, but at least to let you know that you're not alone so that you don't have to follow the expectations that people think that you should or that you might've thought you had to beforehand, Um, including supposed, I mean, let me ask you this. Are there really any events that someone can't say no to? Do those type of events exist? And if so, what are some examples of that? I I would say no. Yeah, we can, we can. I think, you know, sometimes I suppose the thing is we're, we're outweighing the judgment, criticism, whatever word people attach to it um, from other people. But, you know, I think that's the thing. It, we've got to be able to, you know, what I've learned to do is accept that some people are not going to like it but that's their business. (laughs) My business is to look after me. And you can think whatever you want, you know, call it what you want. You can call, you know, and and usually people would do, you know, call it selfish, but I call it self-care. And I do, you know, no one else is looking after me in that situation. So I do need to look after myself. and, And it is really important. I do appreciate it's hard to say no. However, sometimes it's vital. You know, and yeah. actually all the time it's vital. It, it just comes down to whether you want to do it in that situation or not. But it is, I think it is vital that we are able to exercise that self-care and put ourselves first. Yeah, yeah. And so for all my audience let, members, let me just be real specific with these events um, because these are the questions that uh, I'll get sometimes. Um, weddings, you can say no to. Birthday parties, milestones, baby showers anniversaries, um, childhood plays, um, kids plays, you know, all the things that we're talking about, you can say no, if you know it's going to be traumatizing to you. And it, to what Yvonne said, you know, it is about self-care and self-love. And it's about unlearning that part of your trauma that has taught you to prioritize other people's feelings, because yours really don't matter. And if you do try to prioritize your feelings, that means that you are betraying someone or you, you are selfish or um, I'm not a good daughter or not a good sister or not a good friend versus this is truly damaging to you. And emotional hurt and emotional wounds are just as real as physical wounds or physical traumas as well. Indeed, they are. Um, so let's, let's talk about, I know you already shared one of, the biggest tool for you has been being connected to community, which has loved you and accepted you and not tried to fix you or fix the situation and just practice validation and holding space. Um, What are some other tools if you can share that you kind of picked up along the way or messages that you learned to tell yourself instead of the old narratives that you had? The biggest message I told myself was I'm good enough you know I am good enough and learning I suppose that came around the whole forgiveness as well I had 
heard this before, but I never accepted it. And it, when I when I learned to forgive myself, then I realized I could hold on to that narrative that I am good enough and that I matter um, and my life matters as well. Mm-hmm. And I do add value and I bring things, you know, that I could I could probably keep going on about this. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, because I, I did feel like I didn't have a place and I did feel like I was bringing nothing, especially because my parents, I have two siblings who both have children. And I, I felt like I hadn't, I wasn't bringing anything for my parents, I wasn't adding any value. And it was being able to see myself through different eyes and know that actually I do have value and, and that I am adding, you know, my presence, my my wisdom, my my humor. Mm-hmm. All those things are adding value to their lives. And it did, you yeah. know, and I mattered. I really did matter. It really helped me to, I suppose because I was, I started. I became a public speaker through it all and as I was going along I realized that and this is something else somebody told me years ago that my strength is in my vulnerability and I never understood that either until I was in this place that I was opening up to this world of women that I was meeting and telling them my story and then coming back saying oh my god me too or you know that's really helped me or I remember one woman saying to me once, I'm childless too, and then turned around, she was in her 50s, and she turned around and said, that's the first time I've ever said that. And Mm. it really opened my eyes to how much this was needed, how much of a voice was needed to be out there. And I'm not saying women have to go and shout it out to the world. However, it's the, the empowerment of owning our stories to be able to say, no to be able to say well hang on a minute to be able to say to to in a way speak a truth around childlessness because there are so many stereotypes in terms of we're selfish we're career women we're what you know the crazy cat lady whatever they want to add to this uh, or couldn't hold you can't get a man you can't hold down a man you know there's something wrong with you and actually there isn't there's nothing wrong with any of us uh, we're all, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're all beautiful women who happen not to have children for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. and it was not from our own doing in, in terms of how people would perceive it. And I think being able to get to this place of acceptance, and I think there's a lot of levels to acceptance, really helped me to be in a way okay with how other people will perceive me because I realize that's them and that isn't my isn't the truth and doing my grief work really helped me to put those coping mechanisms in place to actually know what was possible so you know like I said things like say no or okay I feel like I can't say no so I'm going to go for an hour and if I do go to an event or I do plan to go to invent an event um, if it's if I'm going to be away, book a hotel room, and have a you know have plans to come back and have a bath, watch a good film. I can do that at home as well. Likewise, if I'm coming home, right, I'm having me time, putting on the bath, having a so watching a funny film, you know, do things that I enjoy. And and sometimes you have to do the counterbalance if you do feel like you have to go to something, 
because you do feel like you can't say no, then have the next day in a spa. You know, it's those kind of things. It's putting those things in place so that you can still look, look after yourself within it. And yeah, I, I learned a lot doing my grief work about myself. I learned a lot about why I was sad because it wasn't just about not being able to have children. There was uh, other layers around it. And I learned a lot of self-forgiveness. So then I was able to own my story and therefore exercise all the things that I needed to exercise or put, in the, put things in place that I needed to put in place for me and be okay. It's not an easy journey and it's not a quick journey by any means. It does take work and it does take time, but it won't heal. You won't heal on your own. It, it, and grief is a dialogue, not a monologue, as Jodie Day says. So you do need to talk about it. You do need to do the work. It time, and also, as I, I think Jodie said this as well, time doesn't heal, grieving heals. So to heal that brokenness, to heal those wounds, we do need to put in the work to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You might have actually answered this earlier and um, and it might just be a slightly nuanced question, but what would you say to women who are listening to this and um, they are actually actively doing self-care work? So they do have hobbies and they do take time to nurture themselves and they do go to therapy and all the things, but for them, having a child isn't really about it's because it's what my mom and my daddy wants me to do or the society wants me to do, but they have felt like this is part of my purpose to have a child and it's not an option for me. So it's more, it is more about them versus other people. What would you say to them? So is that, sorry, I just want to make sure I've understood this. So the women who are in this place of grieving not having children but it was more about what other people wanted for them than they wanted that for themselves is that what you know the opposite because it sounded it sounded like your previous answer was more you know you have been taking all these messages about what you're supposed to be and that you're not enough unless you do this and so uh -huh. you had to learn how you are enough right now but for some women it's not about other people they've uh -huh. always wanted to be a mom you know yeah. I, I mean i think it's very similar in, in terms of, you know, feeling like they're not enough because I do facilitate the Gateway Women Reignite weekend workshops that, so we help to um, help women to work through their grief around childlessness. And I come across a lot of women who, who are in that situation and they feel like, um, and I think the hard thing around that is they, they really do feel like there is no plan B because plan A is to have children. This is all I've ever wanted. And it's, you know, I still will go back to it is doing the grief work because I think no matter whether it's your entire dream, you know, it was your ultimate plan A and, and there was no other thing going on or whether it was about other people's messages and not being sure if you wanted it for yourself anyway the grief is still there the grief is the same mm -hmm. and you know i it really is i can't you know i i definitely was ambivalent about being a mum but i was 
you know, but that grief hit me hard. Mm-hmm. It really hit me hard. And I, and I do my grief where I helped to understand why, because again, there was different nuances around that. But I can't say that it was any less than somebody who really, really wanted it. And I, I was amongst women. I think for what I found was being amongst women who really, really wanted it and me being ambivalent, I felt like I didn't deserve to be in the same room as them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they you know had miscarriages or tried IVF and different things and I'm like I didn't do any of that but as I said I watched those women work through their grief alongside me and I've supported other women working through their grief and and it's the same and and the message I would give to them is is the same as well it, it really is do the grief work I think I can I can understand how it can feel harder because that's all you ever wanted but within that it it's about i suppose in a way how i suppose i i would describe it is it's just reconciling how you feel about yourself because it didn't happen and that's the important thing in that it's it's bringing it all back to knowing that you know you you are good enough and you do have a place and you do matter and you can have a fulfilling life without children it just feels really hard to see that when you're right at the beginning of the grief mm-hmm. yeah yeah i know we're getting close to the end of our time but um i guess i'm just kind of playing through some of the blocks that i know sometimes women have when they hear validation still like it's hard for them to feel like they have the right to accept the love and compassion that someone's giving them and one thing that i make up that um, some women may be feeling right now is women who are really into the idea of manifestation and visualization and having positive thoughts especially if they are still actively trying or if they are a single woman who is dating or engaged and they're worried about being able to get pregnant, the block is, well, I have to have positive thoughts. Otherwise I'm going to manifest not being able to have a child, but meanwhile, they're experiencing real feelings of grief and sadness. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, I find this one a tricky one because I do understand the positive thoughts. Um, the, The tricky thing for me is, what happens when you have all those positive thoughts and it still doesn't happen? And, you know, I come across women who, who feel like, or, or people saying to them, oh, you, then you definitely didn't want it badly enough. And I think it's, it's quite, oh, I, I don't know. I do find this tricky to answer because I feel like there's a, there's a danger around the the thought of keep having positive thoughts and it will happen. It's, it's, I, I liken that to keep praying or don't give up hope or have faith, which is, I heard that a lot um, during my journey and having faith had nothing to do with it. And, and given that it didn't happen, I just felt like I, maybe I didn't have enough or maybe I didn't do enough or you know, maybe I wasn't, um, I didn't want it bad enough and which wasn't true. And that's why I'm having a difficulty in this is that 
it just just because you have all these positive thoughts it doesn't mean it will happen and if it doesn't happen it doesn't make it true that you didn't want it bad enough do you know what I mean and I suppose my message you know oh I oh my goodness this is a tricky one for me it really is um but I love what you're saying I mean even though I can hear you you know you're trying to like weigh both sides is what you're saying is is, it's not black and white and I think what happens is that's just another way for us to take on blame and say that it's our fault and more reason for shame like if you would have prayed hard enough um, if you would have done IVF one more time, if you would have s- stopped hoeing around or whatever the narrative is that someone has given us um, that we are using to reinforce it, it being our fault, um, we just, we, we take it on. And I guess what I, what I would add to what you're saying is it's okay to feel whatever feelings you're feeling because it's the repressing of our feelings and the, um, that is where we are lacking self-kindness, where we try to put ourselves in boxes and not let us be, be truthful about what it is that we need. And the truth is some days we're going to feel really sad and it's okay for you to lean into that sadness for you to figure out what's underneath it and for you to be able to give yourself what you need. And there are going to be some days that you might be really hopeful and joyful and optimistic. And it's okay for you to lean into those feelings as well. Um, but just let yourself be human. Let yourself be a full woman and go through everything that you need to go through in this journey. Yeah. I think it really just reminds me of the narrative or the the common narrative of it's good, it's bad, it's this, it's that, you know, when, you know, I've got to a place where just allow things to be what they are and then work through the feelings that come with that. Because, you know, I think you've said it so beautifully, it's, it, it does add to the shame when things have to be a certain way and you have to do it. And, and, and if you don't do it that way and it doesn't turn up and this doesn't happen and whatever, whatever, we just then beat ourselves up about it. When, you know, life has so many twists and turns, we have no, there's no guarantees for anything. Um, and it doesn't matter how positive you are, how much you pray, things will happen or things may not go the way you you want them to go. But I think in the absence of allowing things to just be what they are and seeing it for what it is, we then are not able to talk about it. And I think that's, for me, that is the big problem is that if it doesn't go the way you planned, where, where are people going to then get the comfort they need? Because I think, and that's, what I see and, and, and that's what I you, what you've said reminds me of what I saw on my journey was that I couldn't then go to a place for understanding and love because no one could give that to me because that mm-hmm. narrative of you know you didn't try hard enough or you didn't whatever have enough hope or whatever it is wasn't was that was their belief in it and it became very very tricky to work myself work my way through it yeah yeah well with that um before I ask you where can people find you to work with you and work with gateway women if someone is listening to this and they are they know someone or they will know someone who's been battling with childlessness or infertility what would you suggest 
that they say or not say to someone who they know doesn't have children? Oh, don't try and fix them. You know, the, the, don't give up hope, keep trying. You know, I know somebody who's had their third round of unsuccessful IVF and has decided to stop because of the journey. And, it, and it's an emotionally hard journey. And somebody then who really believes it really has a Christian view was then, you know, telling them, you know, you have to keep trying and don't give a hope, put your faith in God. And they found it the most unhelpful thing to hear. And it, it, it's very dismissive and silencing. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I would encourage people to ask people what they need, tell them mm-hmm. they're sorry to hear that the experience in that you know one of the kindest things somebody said to me was I'm really sorry to hear that you're going through that and that really allowed me to just cry you know I think it's I know people want to help and I know people care and love and there's different reasons why people are going to do this but trying to fix us just doesn't help It, it really silences us it stops us from talking it stops us from feeling it stops us from getting the help that we need to get the help from people I don't mind that people don't know I would rather someone says I really don't know what to say to you but I'm sorry that you're going through it that is enough give me a hug I know we can't do that during Covid but you know give give me a hug that is enough Um, ask me if I know anyone else that I could talk to about this ask me if um, you know do you know any support groups you know things like that you know offer Mm -hmm. them that help offer them the guidance to get the help they need there are you know as you have experienced some people are going through this journey that will still have children because you know fertility is such a tricky thing Mm -hmm. so it doesn't you know I'm not going to say anyone at the start of this journey is not going to have children but we don't know that's the point no one knows what the what this journey will bring so giving, allowing them to be there, allowing them to feel the grief, allowing them to know that there are support groups out there is what is needed. You know, keeping people in denial, keeping people stuck, not allowing them to work through their grief or feel it is just not helpful. It just adds, adds to so much shame and silence in that it, it, it can be quite devastating because a lot of women really just need to cry talk and be held and be heard Mm -hmm. yeah I love that I love that so yeah and uh, what count also counts as a solution is hey friend I heard this really great podcast from this woman who talked about this let me send it to you instead of asking once you hear it saying I'm so sorry to hear that how can I support you and then if she tells you, do you have any advice, then you send the podcast because otherwise, again, you're trying to fix it and you're trying to tell her what she should feel, even though it's coming from a good place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So remind your friends that they are enough, that they are loved exactly where they are. If you have nothing else to say, um, because that's what they need. So thank you yeah. so much, Yvonne. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, you know, they do, they, they do need to hear that they are loved and that, and that they matter. 
you know, no matter what. I, you know, one of the things that gave me so much joy was hearing my friend say she's so glad I'm in her daughter's lives and she really hopes they grow up to be like me. You know, that that was huge for me, absolutely huge. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you shared. Thank you for your your patience, even with me, with um, sharing your story and um, um, correcting what what actually what actually your experience has been, and just being so so courageous and using your voice and helping so many so many women over the world heal. Um, could you tell our audience where they can find you and Gateway Women and connect um, offline at? So Gateway Women can be found via Gateway Women hyphen, sorry, I'm going to say that again. Gateway Women can be found by gatewaywomen.com. So that's gateway women.com. I can be found at Finding My Plan B. That's my blog. Um, my book, Dreaming of a Life and Lived, can be purchased on Amazon. And I also have uh, Facebook, which is Dreaming of a Life and Lived as well. And I'm on Instagram as y.v-o-n-n-e-j. So it's Yvonne J, but y.vonnej. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I, I will put, no worries, I will put all those links in the show notes for people that usually just click. <laughs> yeah. it's like, how did she spell that? <laughs> No worries, we'll make a point. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. It was so lovely talking to you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. <laughs> 